Yes, Pooja. Uh, uh, potentially off-putting question. My favorite. Go ahead. <laughs> Do you think demon porn is speculative fiction? I can't even speak it. <laughs> that is an excellent question, and I think the answer is yes. Yes, it is. Ah. I feel like that's our intro. <laughs> Hey there, Jilted Indian Podcast listeners. We're back. It's Pooja. Anju. And Miranda. And we did not make you wait another four months for another episode. Oh, look at us. <laughs> or listen to us as this is not visual medium. <laughs> Today we bring you our much anticipated book club episode where we have read Vandana Singh's short story collections, Ambiguity Machines, and other stories. Wait, what? That's not what we were supposed to read. No, it wasn't. Anju, thanks for bringing that up. If you are a fan of the show, thank you. We had announced last season that we were going to read Lily Singh's uh, memoir, How to Be a Bouse. And I read it. And, well, I felt as if this particular bit of nonfiction was more about her personal experience and advice in how she became a successful YouTuber. I didn't think that the content of it lent itself to be discussed or critiqued because it's mostly her personal journey. Also, I listened to it in an audiobook, and when I had to hear bounce so many times... <laughs> I wanted to dig my ears out. (laughs) (laughs) So those of you who read Lily Singh's How to Be a Boss and were ready for this episode, psych! Rewind. We we did not mean to say psych. (laughs) But we'll say that we are three intelligent women and we do like a dash of intelligence with whatever we do. We definitely admire Lily Singh for what she's been able to create on her own. We have respect for her, but when it comes to the literature that we read and that we want to share with you, we want it to be literature that we feel will be enlightening, deep, personal. We want you to be able to connect with it too, so we wanted to advocate for a book that would do that. Yeah, and I feel like I did not properly explain what I was talking about earlier in the sense that it's hard to critique advice when it's things like surround yourself by people who believe in your vision. Like, how are we going to sit here and talk about that? That's like, (laughs) duh, you know? So it would have been weird to formulate an episode around that book. I recommend reading it if you're a fan of hers. Reading it, because like I said, listening to Bouse Every other word is as annoying as it sounds when I keep saying bouse right now. (laughs) We also talked about how she talks about mental health. And I don't know about y'all, but I'm very sensitive to somebody who speaks um, in a sort of past tense that says, this is not my problem anymore. And I'm amazing. And I mean, good for you, but not helpful in the larger realm of discussions surrounding mental health, when, especially when there's, it's still stigmatized. I'm glad she's talking about it. That's cool. But making people dig themselves further into their shame spirals by the way you write about mental health, I think it's really important to talk about your struggle in a way that doesn't 
dig someone further into their struggle. And I don't know, was that the impression you got, Pooja? Well, yeah, it's, it's like I said, it's hard to critique her journey. And it's a, it's a memoir. So it's her in a set moment in her life. It's not a biography, right? So if you wanted more about Lily Singh, this isn't really going to delve deep, like how Mindy's short essays kind of takes an introspective look about Mindy. These were not that. So it was mostly life advice. Like if you want to be successful, here are my tips for you. Essentially how to be a bouse. <laughs> so it's not, like you said, Miranda, it's when she talks about how depression affected that journey. It's not something we can, you know, find points to talk about because it's her journey. It's an interesting journey. I recommend reading it, but it's not appropriate for us to build an episode around. Okay, that makes a lot more sense because everybody gets through their issues the way they get through them and, you know, more power to you if you're past it and whatnot. But like, I'm so glad you told me not to read it. (laughs) (laughs) Not going to lie. I I can't handle people in my actual life who are like that. I can't imagine devoting my time to a book where that's the way people talk about it. Cool. So instead, we decided to find a new book. We came across a list of literature by Indian women, by brown women. When looking through it, we decided to find a collection of short stories because some of us have attention deficit issues and don't finish things. Miranda's raising her hand, but I was actually talking about myself. I was also (laughs) raising my hand because I'm one of those people. But how cool was it to see a sea of books by brown authors and especially brown women authors? How cool was that? really great. And we will try to find it and share it in the show notes for you guys. Yes. And so we chose this book because the genre was not something you usually see Indian women writing about, at least in America. Right. So I am a huge fan of science fiction and fantasy and have been ever since I was a kid. My dad got me started on it. And it had never occurred to me how it's just like white people writing about the future. Like the rest of us don't have ideas of what that might look like for us. Yes, like they're the only ones who could exist in those fictional universes. And you know what? Growing up as a kid, I never questioned that. I never questioned that until I came across this book and was like, wait, what? Oh my God. Like the whole like screen just widened tenfold and was like, all these other things are possible that I didn't even think about. So I was super excited to read this. I had the same reaction. I'm a fan of dystopian fiction in most sources so when i read those things and you read about the future and it's controlled by say china or a different world power that's not american i think to myself well wow way to take into account actual geopolitical we told you episode 10 geopolitical (laughs) conditions and not seeing america first right that kind of plays into the whole oh i didn't know it could be like this We picked this book, and Anju, you care to tell us a little bit about the genre? We talked about the science fiction and the fantasy. This one specifically is speculative fiction. So what does that mean, English major, literature, aficionado? (laughs) I I am so glad you asked that question, Pooja, because I do not know the answer. It was really fun because Anju was like, I didn't know there was a quiz today. Let me check Uncle Google and I will get right back to you. Uh, Well, while we are checking Uncle Google, I did want to just throw in there how cool it is to see dystopian stories that were distinctly including people of color. And like you were saying, different world powers other than American. What do you got, Andrew? Speculative fiction is an umbrella term which does include science fiction as well as supernatural fiction, fantasy fiction. It basically just means 
fiction that has supernatural or futuristic elements. So obviously that is a very wide range of things. This selection of short stories does span quite a wide variety of things. I think a lot of it is science fiction, but not all of it is. There's definitely things set in the past. There are things that are kind of more vaguely supernatural, but not necessarily science-y. So I think I get why they're very specific about calling it speculative fiction. One of the things that intrigued me about the writer Vandana Singh is that this is her first North American release. And when you read the publication history, you see that this collection of short stories, all but one of them were previously published. So the very last one of the book, Requiem, is the only original work in here, but these are all translated. They're translated? So they were not originally written in English? I don't think so. Holy shit. Because it's her first North American book, but she writes in both English and Hindi. The writing in this is so freaking beautiful, and to think that it didn't originate in English makes it even more amazing. And that the... English translation retained the beauty of the description in the way that she elaborated in this book. I mean, we were talking to each other before the record and we were talking about how the way she wrote turned on my senses. All of a sudden I could smell what she was describing and it was distinctly Indian. So I just love that in the English translation, which English translations can lose the magic of what an original language means to communicate. Especially because even in the book, there's a quote, I think it's in Requiem, about how language is not interchangeable. And learning a new language is like seeing the world through totally different eyes. So to translate a story from one language into a different language and retain that beauty is kind of like magic, frankly. And one more thing about the author before we move on with the rest of the episode. She has a PhD in theoretical particle physics. So she writes beautifully, and on her website, she mentions in order to balance work and life, she now spends time teaching and contemplating the mysteries of the universe, which I thought was really cool. So she's overachieving as a left brain and a right brain. Yes. Awesome. Yes. And uh, (laughs) yes, that is intimidating. So she gets all the shitty Indian points for this season. If you are lucky enough to be in a book club, you know the book club format. We want to talk about her overarching themes because there are a lot we captured. And then maybe go over some highlights of some stories and dive deep into a couple of them. So, you know, standard spoiler warning here. But trust us, it's more discussion about structure and culture and things like that. So I'm going to try not to give the cat away. Is it cat, the milk, the cow? Try not to give stuff away. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so overarching themes. Anji, what did you capture? I noticed a theme of powerful women, influential women, mothers, maternal figures, aunts, grandmothers. There was a theme of academic life, of the university setting, of science and math, which makes so much more sense now that I know that that's her background. Journeys, both planned and unplanned. And they can be circular journeys and traveling backward and forward in time. There are a lot of flashbacks in the story and sort of flash forwards, I guess. Lost loves, and as Pooja put it, sexual fluidity. Longing for a peaceful past and a peaceful home. Environmentalism is a big theme. Like, pretty much every story is about how we are destroying the planet currently and what is going to happen next, essentially. A trigger warning, I think. She's a vegan. There is a specific story. That is a little propaganda-y, but um, I'm just saying, if you are sensitive about animals, there's a story that you probably should avoid. Y'all know I have a mental health radar, so... 
I love that she just gave two middle fingers up to gender roles for women. Not in a single story that I read. Not that I read them all. Not a single time where I read a story that had a narrative of a female character. Was it ever a typical female role? And being a feminist, I'm like at home with that. But no, I didn't ever go, where's the children? Why aren't you at home with your children? Like, why aren't you looking for a husband? You know, it was very feminist, I have to say. She didn't even entertain the idea that that's something that women struggle with. I mean, although that's kind of problematic, but who fucking cares? It's fiction. Why can't in the fictional universe women have like as much freedom as men? It's called speculative fiction. Speculative for fiction for a reason. Yeah. It was refreshing to read the narratives of women where we didn't have to have a clause for whatever it is that they were feeling about their looks or whatever it is that they were feeling about their ability to be a wife or a mother. There was no erasure. Am I correct about that? There was no erasure of their identity in any of the characters. They were written like male protagonists, which meant it was about their journeys and their choices and there was no expectation that they should be doing something other than what they wanted to do it was like that wasn't a problem all right so the themes i captured are pretty much along the same lines i captured women on journey and i read a lot of hemingway growing up and there were very shades of long journey of introspection learning about yourself but it's learning about yourself through like time jumps and parallel universes sexual and gender fluidity any of the stories that had to do with a quest had to do with working out Miranda you were saying mental health stuff working out something from your past in order to achieve something in front of you and then technology replacing reality AI scares me so that was one I picked up on (laughs) unrequited or incomplete loves and past loves cheating death and longevity and environmentalism as well so I want to pick up on what you were talking about with technology and and environmentalism one of the things i noticed was that all of the technology in this book in the future is biotech it is all organic it's all very natural and connected to the environment and i thought that was really interesting especially for science fiction book that's not something i'm used to seeing and one of the other themes i guess could be this in all the stories or enough of them you could say it balanced the dichotomy of the world is dying like she says that in several stories the world is dying so when you think about speculative fiction that's not necessarily the future that's current times and so when she's talking about this biomimicry technology the biotech it's like oh is this supposed to be about the future or an alternate now a lot of these were near future Right, because there were references to things still now. So that, to me, made it also like horror fiction because it's like the world is dying and becomes very obvious. And there's one of these stories in here. They talk about, you know, people dying and disappearing and economies being ruined and and things like that when the world and Earth are dying, you know, like how that affects everyday people. So for that reason alone, I mean, it's important to read to scare yourself into probably recycling and picking up litter. Before we start talking about the specific stories in the short story collection, do you remember what your impressions were approaching uh, the genre specifically, the author specifically, or anything you may have read on Goodreads about this book? I do. I didn't know who this author was, 
So straight out the gate, you know, I'm the kind of person who will see a popular movie. I will read a popular book. I'm almost a kind of, I'm not going to say almost. I am the kind of person who wants to see reviews, like not read the reviews per se, but know that that I'm not about to waste my time with a book that other people say is shitty. Like I want to really enjoy, my time is precious, right? But that's precisely why books by women of color don't get noticed. So there was a dissonance within me reading this book because I had never heard of her and because ambiguity machines had not crossed my radar whatsoever. It wasn't like the Traster book, which had how many reviews, like how many people had read that book. But Rebecca Traster is a white female American author. So like going into this book reading, it was kind of like, okay, I'm going to devote my time to a woman of color's fictional writing. That's new for me. I have never done that before. I've never given real, real time to somebody who could benefit from my energy going toward her writing. When they were naming star systems with very Indian names, you think, oh, wow, that's cool. Of course, every nation would pursue things. And if you get there first, you get to name it. And is that the reality you're presenting to me, which is great. But also there was one about India it was still a huge landmass, not necessarily split up. Invaders couldn't get in. It's like an alternate history of something where you weren't colonized. So it forces you to think of things in a way you never thought of before. I thought of that in the first couple stories of this book. Oh my God, if we weren't colonized, what is this? Is this? It's our Black Panther. (laughs) (laughs) This is our Black Panther book. Yes, I 100% agree. That's kind of how I felt reading it. Please note our Black Panther book is a book of speculative fiction written by a theoretical physicist. So (laughs) we are nerds. (laughs) <laughs> I, I think you're just saying that we are Indian, but okay. <laughs> no, we are nerds. Fly that flag, okay? <laughs> I'm just saying Indian people are nerds. Yeah, we are nerds in general, <laughs> but we are a lot of other things. Okay? My expectations, I am not like Miranda. I am actually the opposite. I don't really care about reviews because I have found that that I am a weirdo and my opinions about things are different from normal people's opinions about things. So I wanted to go in, into it and figure out whether I like it myself. Going into this, though, I didn't pay a lot of attention to speculative fiction, and I was thinking science fiction, and so, and Pooja knew this about me, but I was like, four stories in before we got to, like, a spaceship, and I'm like, seriously, what is happening? Like, the first two stories are set in the past, (laughs) which was really interesting. They're very interesting stories, especially the, like, what if we were never colonized or never fully colonized story was really interesting, but I was looking for our vision of the future, and it was definitely, like, getting to space that was exciting for me. Before we get to the individual stories, I just want to point out, I used to be like Miranda and read the reviews about everything, book, movie, restaurant, something. And now I'm more like Anju in the sense that I will read the reviews if the person is like me, okay? Because if you think about how culture is formed, the reviews are a signifier of what's going to be popular. And there's not enough people like us or any marginalized group making waves about what culture is which is responsible for the slow growth of 
Ava DuVernay's Wrinkle in Time is because all of the oh, reviews yes. were comparing it to Black Panther. What the fuck is wrong with you people? It's a children's Also written by white movie. men. Adult men. White adult men reading right. and reviewing a book. The, for- it was the white men. They weren't wowed and dazzled by a children's story with a biracial protagonist, a Latinx adopted brother, a mixed race couple. I totally see the error in how that is but we're talking patterns like this is a pattern of mine well that's there's two different types of reviews there's professional reviews and then there's like rotten tomato right i used to i used to look at aggregate reviews and after wrinkle in time i was like whoa that's fucked up but that we already chose ambiguity machines by then but i'm just saying i am very very influenced as a lot of people are by reviews so i think it's really good that y'all are mentioning that you used to be this way or that you're not this way at all it makes me think about mm -hmm. what i need to do when it comes to the things i choose to ingest i read reviews with a mind to why are they critiquing this what did they not like is that something that's going to bother me no probably not then i'm going to disregard this you know two-star review i'd say the difference with that in most people is that we trained ourselves to be critical of what we ingest and most people aren't yeah you know also the thing is like criticism is so subjective you know and people are different so the idea that we act as if it's some sort of like objective metric of something is weird except for the one a-hole who like gave a negative review to black panther that thing had a 99 percent going and everyone was like (laughs) side eye we digress our stories that we liked. I can't say I read the whole book like Anju and Pooja, but I did enjoy what I did read. Together, we all read the whole book. <laughs> With our powers combined, we are Captain Read the Whole Book. So we decided we're going to talk about these stories, but not give away too much because we want you to enjoy the book the way that we did. Straight out the gate, I'm reading a story that I can imagine someone who looks like me as the character of the story straight up that's new that's new for me and a real cognitive shift so the stories i want to talk about being the shitty indian i am and i'm going to use anju's assistance on this one <laughs> there is a story called a handful of rice it's the second story and may i say this one's indian as fuck like, there's no tiptoeing into it. I was once a boy who was yada yadaing. It was Indian words, Indian name of the character. His name is Vishnu Mishra. All of them have very Indian oh names. Oh my God, yeah. And Pooja, you were saying that these names have significance in the Hindu religion. Yes, most of the character names are sages from the Rig Veda. But as far as me having time to research specifically, Anything to do with the parallelism between that specific sage and what they represent and how they are portrayed in this story, that didn't happen. So unspoiler alert for you listeners, you get to do that. (laughs) Yes, let us know what you find out. We will remain shitty. So really cool story where there is a sort of inception story like there's a story within a story in there a lot of these are like that yes and the way that the story is shaped is similar to the story that's inside it very cool this is our indian black panther story. this is our this indian is the, black what panther if we weren't colonized yeah story. Well, there's all these colonization stories so what the f- story straight out the gate shows you is that we were not yet ruined we were not yet soiled this kingdom managed to not be colonized the specific story handful of rice 
is very much like our Black Panther in two senses because it's very superhero-ish. And it's based on things in the past, like what if this narrative, because they're all based on actual sages in the Rig Veda. And I'm pretty sure that this story is probably a parallel or a lift or a retelling of something from the Veda because all of the names come from specifically the Rig Veda. And they're very important names. And so I'm thinking that this is like making it into superhero stuff. This one talks about the prana. For those of you who understand it and for those of you who meditate, truly meditate, not yoga in America at a gym, meditate. The prana is more than the breath. It has, it's like life force energy. And so they're using that in this to fight. So it's very action hero styled. And in my head, I saw choreographed fights and, you know, breath control and stuff that just like kick-ass martial arts. So to me, it was also a retelling of of pop culture through a different lens. But Andrew, let's go to the non-colonialist aspect of this story. So it took me a while to figure out, they keep talking about the city and this is called Dilly and I am dumb. So it took me about three quarters of the way to the story You're to figure out. Dumb. That You're not dumb. You're shitty. That was... <laughs> That's a huge difference. Shitty Indians. We're just <laughs> not in touch with those um, terms. Yes. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Dilly is Delhi for those of you who are better at sensing patterns than I am. So this is a story set in the mid-1800s, or probably late 1800s, in which the Mughal Empire did not end, not taken over by the British. So they talk about the other colonies, or the Portuguese colonies and the British colonies in the south, but the king in the story, the Mirza Mughal, who was an actual prince, was able to fend off the attack by the British and therefore keep this kingdom in the control of the Indians. Let's take a moment to just think about that for one second, okay? Okay, continue. <laughs> it is a little ironic because I refer to it as Hindustan, which, for those of you who know, Mughal Empire was actually Muslim. Muslim, yeah. <laughs> they were the Muslim invaders. And it is an interesting culture that is formed here that is actually more of a hybrid between the Muslim and Hindus, which is also really interesting. You know, you're reading it, and there is a plot point that we're getting to. You know, he's divided between this king who he's going to go fight because the king does something that he feels he needs vengeance for. It's complicated because there's a relationship between the king and this character Vishnumitra and it's I think beautifully written as I said before it's Indian as fuck and it made me as a shitty Indian it made me curious about what all of these super Hindu words are. As we were discussing which stories to talk about, Miranda referred to the story by its title, and Pooja goes, which one is that? And we started to tell her, and then you said what? The Prana and Maya. And we're both like, no, the one about rice. <laughs> <laughs> because we don't know the No, Pooja, <laughs> it's the one about rice. Yes, we did not remember yeah. any of them you're using fancy words. Indian words. Yeah. You're using words I don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> So that was a handful of rice. Who is next? Well, I want to use the handful of rice to jump into one that we won't really necessarily deep dive into, but we got words on it. So this one kind of with the prana and the maya, the life force fighting kind of think of it as Tai Chi. So are you using your energy specifically to affect the energy of things around you? You're fighting. 
And it's to me, when I read it coming up in the Hindu faith, I heard it, I ingested it as the concept of ahimsa, which I've talked about before, which is do no harm. It's the justification for vegetarianism. Let's jump to R.U. Sanata 3159. And that one is, I feel, very pro-veganism, but also that that's the bridge between them. I think it's just a very graphic and violent way to present the alternative to ahimsa. If you're not doing harm, and in Hinduism, everything has prana. Everything has a life force. Everything has a soul. So ahimsa means harm nothing with a soul. So this one was very like, okay, we said harm nothing with a soul. Did you ever think about what are you doing when you're harming souls? That's how I read that one. Sanata to me is uh, sanatan dharma. You know, that's you follow whatever that means. So... God, I'm the worst Hindu shitty Indian. <laughs> they know who they're listening to, so it's okay. <laughs> All right. Well, for the next one after that, I have to say the story that followed Indra's Web. And you were talking about the theme of everything has a soul. I feel like that was a huge theme in Indra's Web. And it was a climate change. There's a lot of climate change themes in this one. But... This one had my antennas up because she was weaving stories about her grandma, which again, we didn't hear stories about her being a grandma having to uh, be a woman in the patriarchal sense. She talked about her grandmother's cooking, but that's to me is nurturing. And it was just, she was handling the grief of uh, pain and suffering that her grandmother was going through. But the way that she talked about her grandmother was as a scientific genius and as a woman who through her genius got them out of poverty. So I thought that was pretty amazing. And then she takes the metaphor of the forest and the way that she describes the forest. Oh my God, I could just hear the rain and smell the smell of the forest. I mean, she's such a beautiful writer. Uh, Vandana Singh is. And you know, the metaphor between that and then the cacophony of her workplace and then the mix of that with her grandmother suffering and then how they come to solve the problem at the end of the story she wraps it all together through this metaphor i'm not going to say any more about it because i want you to enjoy it but i thought that this story was an anti-anxiety pill it was just beautiful and it was gorgeously described it was wonderful i agree um it, it was a follow-up to the sonata 3159 and it was very calming after the horror of the previous story yeah. it was exactly the antidote that i needed before going to sleep and also it was talking about the development of a project of, of a new way of living they transform a slum outside of delhi into kind of a environmental commune basically and it's freaking brilliant and i was just like um can i move there does this exist can we do this how do we execute this in reality <laughs> i will say that i thought it was beautiful how she was talking about it requires the new and the old like they were using yes. the communication in the uh, between the beings in the forest meaning the trees and the plants and their system of communication in order to power the city or how they could, that could be used to power Delhi. Speaking to natural systems and figuring out how you can make technology mimic those systems. I love how in the end, you know, in the end of the story, she wraps everything in a nice little bow. And I don't know. I just want to write a thank you note about this story because I was sitting in my chair. I've had a rough week. I opened this book and I started reading it and just, the way that it's written, it does what book reading is supposed to do for you. 
which is calm, time without purpose, that sort of thing. And I feel like she really did this one for me. So if I ever do write <laughs> Vandana sing an email, if Vandana ever listens to this, thank you for this one. I want to talk about sailing the Antarsa. And my notes for this kind of boil down to I can't decide what metaphor to go with and how to interpret the story because I can see how this is an immigration story, a story about losing your culture, finding that kinship, finding that connection, searching for it. Or is it about the journey one takes in the afterlife? Because there's a lot of things about severing of connections and nobody seeing you going forward in a lone journey. Or is it about meditation and a journey about how to achieve that higher knowledge, right? Because you're on this journey to find out why your kinfolk disappeared, right? So I couldn't decide. I really loved this story. I did, this was actually my favorite story, although I am a far more literal reader than you are, so I wasn't looking at it as a parable, but I just loved it as it was on the surface level. The story is amazing, too. And we talked about Vandana's beautiful writing, and I think it comes through a lot in this episode, the way specifically, environmentalism is a theme we talked about, but the way specifically she talks about nature throughout these stories. She invokes this imagery of nature about how it is beautiful now. I've got to say, you know, whenever you have elaborate writers and it's not a brown person, when you feel like your story's not being included in the narrative there's not that same connection. So I'm fairly certain that my friends who were born in Iowa or the South, like Mississippi, when they read literature that evokes where they come from, I bet you they have the same feeling. But as an Indian person born in America, I've never had that before. I can't say I have. So right. this was very special. Agreed. Uh, going back to what Pooja was saying, Sailing the Antars of the Story, I felt like it was kind of a culmination of a lot of these themes. It felt like... It was um, pulling together all of these ideas about environmentalism and about the kinship between mankind and animals. And did they specifically call it kinship in this? And it's uh, the way it's described is such a cool idea of like of of sort of letting the world, letting other creatures get acclimated to you and open themselves to you. Namaste. The light in me sees the light in you. Yes. (laughs) I love this story so much. Before we talk specifically about the story, and again, we're going to lean on Anju for that. Uh, <laughs> I want to talk about, you know, you said earlier that you read it a lot more literal than I did. And I, I'm i very obsessed with the metaphors because I'm obsessed with the names. And I feel like the names are triggers to something that it's calling from, that it's perhaps turning a trope on its head, that I lack familiarity to know exactly what to appreciate it on that level. But I did make note of the names in this story. So in this story, she talks about tribes of people, for lack of a better grouping. Um, And one of them is called the Himdara. And I looked that up, and that is an environmental research and action collective in India. And the book has very environmentalist themes, so that makes sense. Roshan is another name, and that's um, shining light, specifically shining moonlight. And those people are described kind of like the Vila and mermaids from Harry Potter, if you want an anchor. And then Dave Taru, which is the main character's tribe people, Dave Taru. And so I didn't know if that meant the literal Dave Taru, which I think means giant plant, or in this story they said island. 
or if it means if it's a play on Devota, which means God. And then the other names, uh, Antarsa, and uh, that is ironically an Australian, um, it's, a, it's a group for fair housing for Australian natives. So I thought it's about going home and it's about finding home for natives. I thought that was weird. I wonder if that was a coincidence. And then the name of her mother's all mean different things and she described their personality based on the name so i was always looking for hidden meaning and that's why i guess the metaphor part of all of these stories found their way into my brain it is about a woman who comes from a tribes of humans who came from somewhere else and have now settled this new home world and have like split into tribes as puja was describing it but they still have kind of a council so they can still communicate with each other and interact and have pretty friendly relations for the most part um, and they have not really left their planet since. And so she is the first to leave her home. They've discovered a new way of traveling and she's going to go explore by herself. But that means that she has to leave everybody and everything that she knows behind. And going back to the idea that animals and plants and everything have their own agency and their own life force, they believe that she can't take any living things with her because those things don't have the ability to make that choice to make the same sacrifice that she is making. So she has to go alone in this ship and in this journey that's going to take like a decade or something and uh, that she won't be able to come back from. And so that's kind of the story that she's, it's her journey. The idea of like, this will not be sustainable over there. We can't take this over there. Ah, that's deep. So this is why I thought this was very much like immigration because it talks about the separation of family in two aspects, as being an immigrant, big I, because I think at some point in the story, I could be confusing it with another one. What happened was two ships took off from Earth. One landed in oh, David yeah, right. The other one got halfway, like five out of seven light years away from where it needed to be. It got There was a total of seven light years it needed to travel. It got to five and disappeared. So then they I think they were going to two different solar systems. Right. And so but they, they, they were just like we are of the same people and we split off. And right. And so the people who came with them are on this planet and then there's the other system which they can see, but they've never heard from their kind of cousins who went to that other system and they don't know what happened to them. So that's where she's going. Right. And so I thought that it was very much like that aspect of immigration. And then all the times where main character reflects back on saying a final goodbye to her family, especially as a brown woman coming from your homeland. If you got married, that's what you were expected to do. Say goodbye to your family. But in this case, it's well, I guess education or or marriage are the two reasons you leave your house. Right. Because you can't be an independent woman without some kind of support system. So. Anyway, uh, I roll. That's not this episode. The <laughs> but however, you know, she takes this solar journey away from her homeland. So it kind of goes back to that old, well, the most most recent saying is like children of immigrants know that this is not their last stop. Right. So kind of that that was the theme I took away from this one. I can see that. One thing about that that's interesting, though, is that usually immigration is people leaving a situation where, like where they're from even though they love it for a better opportunity somewhere else and the way she talks about her home is pretty idyllic and actually it was a huge community project for her to take this journey and there was a lot of debate about whether it was even worth doing it because where they come from is so idyllic so she's really leaving for the sake of exploration because she wants to know what else is out there not necessarily something something better than she has so in this story she has a totem with her which is a biosphere that her friend gives her and i just 
this totem to me, this biosphere, it, it had tiny mosses and creatures, microscopic creatures from her home planet. And she's taking it on a several light year journey where she sometimes comes in and out of consciousness and roams the ship. And so it's, it's her grounding, it's her anchor. When she looks at it, she's reminded where she is in case she gets disoriented on this journey or where she came from more specifically. I saw that biosphere as culture. When you're an immigrant, what do you hold on to? And then when the biosphere, spoiler alert, is destroyed later on, her attempts to save it and salvage it and her worry that she's going to forget where she came from was very visceral. Mm -hmm. It was like, here's a metaphor you won't get reading. You know, maybe a, a man, definitely not a man, and for sure not from somebody who was a colonizer. This story for me stood out for, for the immigration stuff. And like the afterlife stuff also was there too about the saying goodbye, but that could also be a part of your immigrant with an E slash immigrant with an I story, saying goodbye, moving forward, not knowing what's ahead, but you're going to keep hope alive. You have to keep going. You're surviving for a reason. You know, bring you know, in some, some instance in the story, it's kind of like, well, I'm famous now. My family will, you know, I have a leg- legacy that the entire planet knows about. My family can live comfortably being proud of me. There's that kind of there. But I would say overall, in all the book, there's not that live up to expectations bullcrap unless it's seen as a negative way that you have to rebel against. Well, even that, she, um, there's a point where she thinks she's going to die. And her concern isn't that she's going to die out there alone. Her concern is that her family and everybody back home is going to wonder what happened to her and be worried. They're not going to know what happened. So it's still very interesting how it's about the other. Another thing I wanted to talk about that I found incredibly interesting about this story, because I don't think I've ever seen this in science fiction or fantasy, it's this idea of a different kind of matter. Like what we know as matter is ordinary matter. And she talks about how, and this is apparently actual science, the kind of matter that we see, that we tangentially can like you know interact with, is actually a minority in the universe, that most of the the universe is actually made up of different types of matter, things that we cannot really see or interact with. And so this story really takes that to heart and then and basically is like, the universe is not really made for us. Like what we can see and interact with is a very small portion of it and is not the majority. And maybe there's a whole nother world that we can't see and can't interact with of what the actual universe that's greater than we are. And we're just like the small side thing that they don't even really recognize. And I feel like the way that the author breaks that down or brings that into the forefront is by continually mentioning darkness itself, embracing the unknown. There was the quote from the story about becoming friends with the loneliness, which was a quote about kinship, which is, to me, that was where I got the meditation metaphor from. But You know, it's just we interact with a minuscule portion of of the environment and of the world. And there's the darkness in itself is the thing we don't embrace or interact with. I don't say embrace the darkness in that way. But when we think about why do we embrace the light? What if in space darkness means something else? You you, you know, these things are questioned. These tropes are questioned. And I love trope questioning, (laughs) you know. It's just interesting to me because every science fiction thing that you read assumes, as humans do, that we are central you know and that everything we interact with is going to be like us in some way and that we're going to be able to interact with them and this story posits a universe in which we are basically kind of like microbes and there's a whole world of other creatures like if you think about like a microbe in its universe everything is normal and they can't see us like we are nothing to them 
and we can't see them and they are nothing to us like their world is so small compared to the world that we interact with and that's it flipped that dynamic in the story that we are the microbes and there's a whole bigger world and creatures out there that are so much more than we are that we can't even really comprehend I feel like the whole thing is like about introspection kind of because it's always about a lone woman on a journey. I want to know what she was going through when each of these stories were written. I wish <laughs> there was a better foreword or preface. So, Vandana, holler at your girls. <laughs> we want to know, can we be friends? I just thought, no wonder these stories were together and no wonder they were woven in the way they were woven. I highly... Specifically for brown women, I highly suggest this book. Number one, to see yourself in a book. It's so important to see yourself as a character in a story. Uh, I think that's not only important for us story-wise, as far as the stories that we read and who we see as human, it's important to see yourself as a worthy human being on this planet and I think part of that comes you know that's what comes with hearing stories about yourself is that you know being further into your humanity to that point it is really kind of cool how she very frequently particularly in the first part of the book describes characters as you know with their dark skin and their dark colored hair and and they're wearing a sari and it's just really cool to posit a future in which that's just the, the dominant like viewpoint is that that's the assumption that we make and also something a trope turning definitely is I noticed she would use pronouns to identify the gender pages into the story of your narrator of your protagonist in the story so you don't know which in this book which is about you know futuristic stuff could be aliens there's a lot right. of gender fluidity in this book yeah there's one story in which a character is explicitly able to change gender apparently at will so yeah that's pretty interesting i had not noticed that bask in privilege bask in glory of a pussy bask in privilege glory of a pussy that would be great <laughs> <laughs> um the other thing i wanted to point out as we're talking about representation i think there are a couple of stories in here where vandana also does a great job of depicting other cultures not just indian culture there's a story that really delves into the eskimo culture in alaska which is awesome and there's also one about a character who's bolivian i believe and there's some about his back backstory and background as well. Let's talk about the one based in Alaska. That one was so interesting. That's Requiem. That's the only original work appearing or first published work appearing in this collection of short stories. And I found out recently that the term Eskimo is pejorative and it means like subhuman. And it refers to the group as like an animalistic group in the, in the Inuit language. I remember reading that during Native American History Month. And just to add to that, Requiem is a Latin term. So this being her only original work in the book, she entitled it with a distinctly Western language title. I don't think Requiem is so overtly used. It's a mass for the dead, originally a Latin Catholic term. And so that plays into this story specifically having to do with whale song. And I think... I brought up the Eskimo thing because it was funny. One of the notes she has in the back is to thank whoever read the story about Alaska, an expert in Alaska, I guess, and the physics of Alaska, and approve the story or like the story. But she didn't pick out that one no, word. No, but she did. She does refer to them frequently by their tribal name. Yes. She does occasionally also refer to them as Eskimo, which I 
I interpret that to be probably realistic in the same way that Native Americans here in the in, in the uh, continental U.S. are called Indian. So do you accept Indian as as a description because it's so much a part of their heritage too at this point that it's also accurate. In this story, the author makes it a point to point out that the main character is the second Indian to arrive in this Alaska, where or this part of the Arctic, where there are native people only. So it's a story about Indians going to see what Columbus would have turned Indians, but she does ne- she never she never says that, right? So yeah, it's, ne- it's there, but it's nothing she ever explicitly states. Again, as if it's not colonized. Well, I think we've made it clear that we recommend this book and yes. that you should get it, especially you brown women. And we're going to post show notes on the author and on uh, anything connected with this book. She was featured on the Geek's Guide to the Galaxy podcast, which is featured on Wired, episode 299 of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy podcast. Every single story is talked about in this Wired article, so we're definitely linking that. Yes, we are. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Jilted Indian Book Club. This has been Pooja. Miranda and Anju. We came with love and courage and encourage you to go in peace and power. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.